0: Please open with me uh, now to um, Psalm 119. Our text today is verses 65 through 72. Psalm 119, verses 65 through 72. This is the ninth of the 22 sections of Psalm 119. Hear God's word. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let's uh, seek the the face of the Lord again in prayer. Lord, we thank you for uh, this psalm. We pray that its truth would be written on our hearts in such a way uh, that we uh, devotionally might take these words upon our own lips Lord our God, be our teacher, our instructor. This hour, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Each of the sections of Psalm 119 begin with the next uh, Hebrew letter. Uh, All of these lines begin with the Hebrew letter, Tet. And indeed, five of the verses begin with a very specific word, and it is the word that's translated in English, good. That's obscured in our English translation, but for example, in, Psalm, in verse 65, it would be, good you have dealt with your servant. Okay, Or verse 66, good judgment and knowledge, teach me. Five of the verses begin with the word good. This psalm is about the goodness of the Lord. But interestingly, it's also a psalm about affliction. You'll notice that three of the verses uh, speak very uh, clearly, very uh, specifically about affliction. Verse 67, uh, verse 69, and then verse uh, 71. And so the question is perhaps, How do these two things fit together? How is it in the same breath we can talk about both the goodness of God and the affliction that we experience? Well, many people don't think that those two things go together. In fact, one of the uh, common arguments against Christianity is the problem of suffering or of evil. And people say, well, uh, if God is all-powerful, then he can prevent bad things happening. If God is good, well, then he'd want us to be uh, happy. And so if suffering or evil exists, then it means that God is either not all-powerful or he is not all good. Why is there evil in this world? Well, that argument, uh, there's many things that could be said about it, but it doesn't really reckon with the fact that Our good God, while not the author of evil, nonetheless uses evil for higher ends. And the Lord does have higher ends than what we would perceive to be our own immediate happiness. And in fact, I for one am grateful that I am not the final arbiter of what is good or what is best in my own life, but instead that it is in the hands of God. Uh, the The Lord has higher purposes, and in fact, praise be to God, even the evil of this world serves his higher ends. Well, this means for the Christian, experientially, that when you undergo affliction, when you experience difficulty, trial in your life, that one of the things that you must be absolutely convinced of is the goodness of the Lord. And that's really the perspective of faith. It's the perspective shown by this psalm. That no matter what it is that I am going through, God is good. So David, here, uh, verse 69, makes clear a specific form of suffering. The insolent, he says, smear me with lies. Falsehood lies spread about David that hurt his reputation and make it difficult for him. And nonetheless, in the midst of that suffering, he is able to say, my God is good. Can we say the same thing? When we experience a financial hit or financial ruin, God is still good. When we lose a child, God is still good. That when you have uh, uh, troubles in your marriage, God is still good. When perhaps as a young person you break up with a boyfriend, or if you are a guy, there's a girl that you're interested in, and she doesn't even seem to notice you, and it breaks your heart. It's severe, and yet you can still say, God is good. You get a bad grade on a test that you studied for. God is still good. When your land is ravaged by war, as is currently experienced in the Ukraine, you can still say, my God is still good. That's the experience of faith. That's experientially one of the ways that we handle affliction as uh, the the child of God. We sing about it in one of the uh, New Getty hymns that we sing. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good. God is good. And where is His grace and goodness known in our great Redeemer's blood? Who holds our faith when fears arise? Who stands above the stormy trial? Who sends the waves that bring us nigh unto the shore, the rock of Christ? And so, what I want to see, is to see today in this psalm, is four different things that you and I need to be convinced about regarding the goodness of the Lord. And then, lastly, after we look at those four things, uh, we're going to see how it can be said for the Christian that God is good even in the midst of our affliction. Okay, so four different things. First of all, we're going to see that God's character is good. Secondly, that God's providence is good. Third, that God's word is good. And fourth, and finally, that God's counsels are good. And then we're going to finally see that truly, because of all of those things, it is good when he brings me through affliction. Okay? So first of all, God's character is good. This is one of the things that the psalmist is absolutely convinced of. And we see this in verse 68. It's in that little phrase, You are good. Wow. God, if I'm going to describe who you are in your essential being, God, you are, in all of your godhood, you are good. He's essential goodness in Himself. In every attribute that is His, He is good in the fullest sense of that term. He is good in his very essence. We read of that in many places in Scripture. You'll remember that one time when Jesus was addressed as good teacher, and he says, why do you call me good? There is one good, who is God uh, alone. God, indeed, is good or you can think of Moses' experience in Exodus 33 and Exodus 34. He desired that the Lord would show him his glory. And what do we read? But that the Lord caused his goodness to pass before him. God's glory is his very uh, goodness. Indeed, God is good, that for God to cease to be good, we'd mean that he would cease to be God uh, himself. God in his very essence is a God of goodness. He's an inexhaustible fountain of good. We cannot begin to conceive it. And that's why for uh, creatures, our greatest response to God's goodness ought to be that of worship and of praise. We glorify him. We delight in him. We magnify his name for all of his goodness. In many of the hymns that we sing, we praise God because God is, uh, is good. We can notice his goodness with admiration and fresh praise. Well, we see God's character of his, of his goodness in many different places, but perhaps the chief place where we see God's goodness is in the very cross of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ. It's important that we see the cross of our Lord not as something, as it were, um, uh, uh, extra or something that that just kind of comes to us from the outside, but it's rather that which flows from the very, if we may be so bold to speak in this way, from the very heart of God himself. That our God is a good God, a generous God, a loving God. And it is out of that very character of the goodness and the love of God that he gave his own son on the cross. God so loved the world that he gave. He's a God of goodness and of generosity. And so when we see our Savior in in true humanity, hanging upon the cross of Calvary, suffering and dying for His people, we say, there above all else is the goodness of my God seen. The goodness that upholds His holy law. And the goodness that shows inconceivable, indescribable love and mercy towards His lost and fallen people in saving them. What infinite goodness there is from our God. Dear Christian, the one thing that you can continually say, no matter what it is that's going on in your life, is that your God is good. He's good in His very character. But let's move on. Secondly, the second thing about God's goodness is that God's providence is good. God's providence is good. We find this in the last part there of verse 68 you are good he says and you do good the God whose character is good does good things in this world and we see this as well in verse 65 you have dealt well with your servant O Lord according to your uh, word that David acknowledges that in all of God's Dealings. And that's what His providence is. His providence is God's supernatural, all-governing dealings with us in this world. He's the God who governs and controls all things. All things come to us from His hand. And when they come to us from His hand, they come to us from His hand of goodness. And so we need to be those who are quick to see the mercies of the Lord in all of his ways. To acknowledge, Lord, you do good in everything that you do. You have dealt well with your servant. And I simply ask you, do you acknowledge God's mercies? Do you give thanks for them? There's a hymn that we sing by Charles Wesley, um, When all thy mercies, O my God, my God, my rising soul surveys. That's the hymn. But one of the one of the stanzas says, ten thousand thousand precious gifts my daily thanks employ. A beautiful expression. Ten thousand thousand precious gifts my daily thanks employ. Can you say that about the Lord's providence in your life? Do you see it at every turn? Do you see his hand of protection? Do you see Him protecting you from uh, illness, protecting you from accidents, protecting your soul from sin? Do you see Him in the relationships that you enjoy? Do you see Him in the church family that you uh, have? Do you see Him in the food that you eat and receive on a daily basis, receiving sustenance for your body? Do you do you see the Lord in the beauty of a sunshine or in the, uh, the glory of uh, other parts of His created order and the animals that move about in the plant life and, uh, of, of this world? Do you see the Lord's goodness all around you in His providence? And do you respond in thanksgiving uh, for that? But these verses make it clear that not only is the Lord providentially good. The Lord promises good as well that he fulfills. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. That is, God's providence is even the fulfilling of his word. C.H. Spurgeon puts it this way. He says that the kindness of the Lord is no chance matter. He promised to do so, and he has done it according to his word. What a blessing to see how God makes a promise and then fulfills it as He said He would. You experience God fulfilling His promises in so many ways in your life. And what a blessing that is when we can see God's goodness to us and even trace it back to the promises that He has given us in His his Word. The Lord has dealt well with us according to His Word. So God's character is good. God's providence is good. Now, this moves us naturally, thirdly, to this fact that God's word is good. God's word is good. Like much of Psalm 119, there's a focus here on the word of God. He says, for example, in verse 66, that he believes in God's commandments. So verse 67, that he keeps his word. Verse 68, that he desires to be taught the Lord's statutes. Verse 69, that with his whole heart he keeps the Lord's precepts. Verse 70, he delights in the Lord's law. Verse 71, he desires to learn the Lord's uh, statutes. Time and again, the psalmist desires to be turned back to the word of God. Why is it? Well, I think we have an answer in verse 72 when he says that the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. There's a goodness to the Lord's word. I think that that phrase, the law of your mouth, is such a beautiful expression. It pictures God's word proceeding directly from the mouth of Almighty God. And it's because of that that it's to be prized. It comes from the mouth of the one who is in himself pure goodness. And so how can his word be anything less than infinitely valuable? That's what he says. It's better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. That uh, word thousands is actually the largest number that you can come to in Hebrew, okay, in the ancient Hebrew text. And so he's saying... uh, uh, think of like lots and lots of gold and silver pieces. Gold and silver, of course, were the currency of the day. Okay, you might want to think of dollar bills now. So he's saying here, if you want to do this, pile all the wealth in the entire world on one side of the scale. Thousands of gold and silver pieces. You can take the bank accounts of all of the richest people in the world, pile them on one side of the scale And then he says, put the word of God, the law of God's mouth, on the other side of the scale. And which weighs more? Which is more valuable? Which is ultimately more valuable? And it's no contest at all. Of course, it is the law of God's mouth. It is the word of God. It's better than thousands of gold and silver uh, pieces. And of course it is. What is the wealth of this world? What is it but mere uh, created things? Gifts from God's hands in many ways, but but only created things. But what is God's Word? It is His His infinite, life-giving, all-powerful, life-directing Word. That we need more than we need our daily bread. And yes, it's his word which is more uh, uh, wealthy for us than than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And so this means that, dear friends, that whatever it is that you lose in your affliction, if you gain a greater knowledge of God and of his word, you come out of that affliction on top. You have gained that which is more uh, valuable. You see... The wealthiest people in the world aren't those who have lots of gold and silver pieces with the things that gold and silver pieces can buy. Big boats, fancy vacations, huge homes, luxury upon luxury, the highest of designer clothes, no financial worries. You go on and on. The Lord says those aren't the wealthy people of the world they don't have the word of God, they're actually quite poor. Wealthy people are those who have God's word and who know it and have it hidden in their hearts. They are the rich ones of this world. And so do you see how that changes our perspective on everything? Lord, if if whatever it is that you're bringing through might lead me to know more of your word and experience it, I've just become all the more richer. The glorious thing it is. Oh, dear friends, how we ought to value the goodness of the Word of the Lord. The goodness of His promises. The goodness of His precepts. The goodness of His instruction. The goodness of those portions that tell us more of God and of His grace and of the Lord Jesus Christ and of what He's done for us and of the future that yet awaits the people of God. Oh, what riches, abounding riches are to be found in God's good word. God's word is good. This moves us fourthly now. The fourth thing about the Lord's goodness is that God's counsels are good. God's counsels are good. And what I mean by this is what we find in verse 66. Uh, The psalmist says, teach me good judgment and knowledge. What he wants is to be inwardly taught by the Lord. He realizes the goodness of God's word, but now he's saying, Lord, I want you to inwardly work in my mind and in my heart that I might, as it were, internalize your word, that I might develop a greater knowledge, a knowledge of God and of my Savior and of his work for me, And also that I might gain good judgment or discernment to figure out the way forward. He's praying, Lord, might I have a conscience that is sensitive to your word. Might I have a heart of discernment to know which path I should uh, walk on. Lord, you, the God of goodness, give to me your servant by your Holy Spirit. Because that's how it comes. Good judgment and knowledge. David wants to know the way of wisdom. It's what the goal of the book of Proverbs is. that We've been reading on Lord's Day mornings together. Lord, instruct me in the way of wisdom. Lord, give me a heart of wisdom. He wants to know how wise and how right God's commands are so that he will know how to live as God's servant in uh, in this world. And friends, it's what you and I ought to desire. That's what we long for each one of God's people, that we would be people marked by good judgment, that we would be wise, uh, faithful uh, people who cleave to God's word and can see our way forward in this world. You know, a person of sound judgment is one of God's greatest gifts to the church. It is such people that are consistent and wise leaders, or that are trusted counselors and peacemakers and steady guides. Young people, one of your greatest prayers should be Lord, make me a person of knowledge and of good judgment. I want to be your servant. You know, those are the kinds of people, even that you should admire and desire to be like. Don't Seek to be like the wicked of this world. It actually describes them in a couple of these verses. Verse 69, it speaks of the insolent who smear him with lies. And then he says in verse 70 that their heart is unfeeling like fat. What he's saying is he's saying there are these people whose hearts, through indulgence, have become, as it were, fat. That is, insensitive, unwise, focused simply inwardly on their own pleasure. They have no heart for the Lord, no sense of His greatness or of His glory. What he's describing here are uh, many of the people of this world. He's describing here many of the celebrities that so many look up to. They are those whose heart is unfeeling like fat. They have no conscience. No sense of the Lord and of His greatness and what it means to serve God in this world. They're focused on themselves and their own pleasures. They've made a God of fame and of money and of notoriety. And he's saying, don't try to be like those people. See them for what they are. Why why do you want to be one of them? Oh, but rather might it be said of us, teach me good judgment and knowledge, that I might become a wise person, a useful servant of the Lord all the days of my life. And so four things that are good about the goodness of the Lord. The Lord's character is good. The Lord's providence is good. The Lord's word is good. The Lord's counsels are good, and they make us good as, as well. And friends, it's when we have this perspective on what is really good in this world that we can then say that indeed, as he says here, uh, it is, um, verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted. Afflictions are often one of God's ways of teaching us lessons which we otherwise would never learn about the goodness of the Lord. Martin Luther says that I never knew the meaning of God's word until I came into affliction. I have always found it one of my best schoolmasters. I mean, think about it, even in the life of the prodigal son. Okay, that that story, the the lost son, Luke 15, okay, who... uh, uh, he remember, he went astray. When, when, he was, uh, w- when life was good, so to speak, when he had his fill, he gave no thought at all to the goodness of his father. But it was only when he was brought very low and he looked at what the pigs had, and he said, maybe I could eat some of that stuff. It was in the time of affliction, of deep affliction, that the Lord says, then he was first brought to himself. He came to Himself, and then He came to His Father. And What did He remember? He remembered the goodness of His Father. And it was at the low point, the point of affliction. And friends, it's often the same in our lives also. It's when the Lord humbles us and brings what we would call cross-providences in our lives, that are crossed, as it were, to to what we would desire, what we would ever expect, the the, the path that we would have charted. But the Lord has good purposes in it, that we might know more of Him, and that we might be led, as it were, to a a deeper dependence upon His Word. And that's what he's saying. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Verse uh, 67, I went everywhere else. I followed my own path in life. When life was good, but friends, it was when I was afflicted that now I keep your word. Let's come to a fresh appreciation of the word of God. Affliction has good purposes from our good God. You know, sometimes as parents, one of uh, of the things that we desperately want is to keep our own children from affliction. We, We don't like to see them suffer. But we need to remember that God often has wonderful purposes in their suffering as well. Sometimes when they're brought very low, they can learn lessons that perhaps they would learn no other way. And we can pray, Lord, teach, even teach my children in this period of affliction what it is to look to the goodness of the Lord. And So how is it that you should respond when you go through affliction? Well, corresponding to those four things that we saw about the Lord's goodness, I want to say these four things. How does one who is trusting in the goodness of the Lord respond in affliction? First of all, first of all, it means that you need to look to the Lord as the source in your trials and believe that He is still good all of the time. So when trials come, See that trial from the hand of God and acknowledge, my God, even in this, is still good, and I can trust in him. Secondly, you need to see that he does have, or you need to believe, maybe it's a better way to put it, you need to believe that he does have good purposes in his providence. The Lord's providence is good. Good. Now, do you always know what the Lord's purposes are? No. Many of us don't. When we go through providence, we say, Why, Lord? And we don't know exactly. But we can say, He means it for our good. Romans 8, right? All things work together for good for those who love God and are the called according to His purpose. Even those things which are evil, those things which are suffering, those things which in themselves are part of life in this cursed world, even those things are under his providential hand that he is able to work them for good in the lives of all of his children. And when affliction comes, you, you, you believe that no matter what. Lord, I believe that you do have good purposes in this providence. And so I seek my comfort and my consolation from him then, You see, if we believe that the Lord is working good things in His providence, we we don't seek for comfort then in other places. What are the things, the messages that the world says? Well, the messages that the world says, well, it says, revenge is sweet. When somebody does something bad to you, you want to feel good, do something bad back to them. Or the world says, drown your sorrows, forget about them, and Drugs or in alcohol or something like that. Or distract yourself with other things. Drown yourself in, in uh, pleasures. Indulge yourself in, in, in various other things that you find in, enjoyable as a way to forget your pain and to dull your pain. That's what the world says. But the Bible says, no, run to your good God who has ordered all of your steps, and find your comfort in Him. Don't don't sin against somebody else in response to the good purposes that the Lord has in your life, even through difficult affliction. So again, we see the Lord's good character. We see the Lord's good providence. The third thing that we should do is this. It is this. It is, be resolved not to sin no matter what, but make it your highest aim to follow His Word. That is, when afflictions come, might it be instead of sinning against the Lord and against His words, either by complaining or seeking revenge or getting bitter or turning your anger against somebody, of losing your temper, whatever it might be, say, Lord, instead of sinning in this affliction, Lord, make me to love Your Word and to prize it and, to, and be resolved, to follow it no matter what. Lord, keep me from sinning when you afflict. And then the fourth thing is this. Pray that God will use affliction to both tether you closer to his word but enable you then to walk in the way of wisdom. In other words, might it be that through affliction that you might increasingly have a godly character. That's one of God's promises actually in Romans chapter 5. One of the reasons that the Lord brings us through affliction is this. He says, We rejoice in our sufferings, Romans 5 3, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You say, in there, simply just that we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that part of what the Lord is doing is working in us a godly character, conforming us to the image of His Son, and in that, that we find our hope and our joy in the Lord uh, alone. Might our prayer be that of the psalmist in the midst of affliction, teach me good judgment and knowledge. Lord, even when I'm afflicted, shape my character after that of the Son. Friends, that is how the Lord's goodness can be seen, even in affliction. That's how the psalmist can say, even it was good that I was afflicted. Why is it good? Because we have a Lord who is in himself good in every way. Good in his character, in his providence, in his word, in his counsel toward his people. I want to close the sermon just by reading really what was essentially a prayer that Charles Bridges put in his commentary on Psalm 119 on these verses. And the prayer is this and might it be that this would increasingly be your prayer in the midst of affliction as well. Bridges says to the Lord, Lord, especially let every cross. Every affliction which thou art pleased to mingle in my cup, conform me more to my Savior's image, restrain my heart from its daily wanderings, endear thy holy ways and word to my soul, and give me sweeter anticipations of that blessed home where I shall never wander more, but find my eternal happiness in keeping thy word. Might it be true of each of us? Let's pray together. Lord, our God, it is our desire that when we are afflicted, that we would remember that you indeed are a God of all goodness in every way. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your faithfulness in days gone by. And Lord, we confess our own weakness our own trouble, our own, own, uh, 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 Lord, slowness of heart to believe. Lord, we pray for more of that faith, which is able to say, even feeling the anguish and agony often that suffering brings, Lord, that we nonetheless through it all might be able to say, indeed, Lord, you are good, and to say that from the very depths of our heart. Teach us more of your goodness, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name, Uh, amen.